When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. A one, two, three, four... Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, folks. I'm Amy Wright. My guest on the podcast today is Justin Osborne, frontman of the Charleston, South Carolina band Susto. Susto will return at the end of this month with a new record titled Time in the Sun via New West Records. It follows their critically acclaimed 2019 studio album, Ever Since I Lost My Mind. The joy of birth, the closure of death, the warmth of true friendship, and the future rotate on the axis of this new record. Prior to entering the studio, Osborne became a father, and midway through recording, lost his own father to cancer. Because he had begun writing when he found out he was going to be a dad, these events were the biggest inspirations for the record. He says it felt like he was in between the beginning and the end of life. He's a pretty profound guy, and I really enjoyed connecting with him. Take a listen to our conversation, and I'll get with you again at the end to share a few more thoughts. So welcome to Diddy TV, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're going to explore a little bit about your uh, new album, Time in the Sun. But before we get to that, we're going to start with where you grew up. And you grew up in a small town in South Carolina. Yeah, I spent the first like nine years of my life in a little town called Turbyville, South Carolina. Um, it's like a square mile with two stoplights. And my parents had grown up on in like the rural communities on either side of the town. And then uh, I guess we lived like inside the little town. Um, but then I moved to Florence, South Carolina when I was 10, which is a little bit bigger, and then eventually found my way to Charleston right after high school. And I've pretty much been there ever since kind of off and on with a lot of touring in, in the middle of that as well. Were your parents musicians? No, my parents weren't really musicians at all. I, I think my dad like knew a few chords on the guitar, but he never really had one at the house. Um, and my mom had learned to play piano a little bit in church uh, and she would play from time to time. We did always have a piano in the house though. Um, and so my brothers and I would kind of just gravitate towards that and explore and kind of we had lessons at 
at different points, but then mostly we just kind of became self-taught and I have three younger brothers. So we would, we would play together a lot and that's kind of how I got, you know, going with it. Did you play sports as a kid? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I, yeah, it was kind of typical. I played baseball and soccer and I was really into outdoor stuff, just kind of like backpacking and being in the woods. The little town where my parents were from and where I spent the first few years of my life, like there's all kinds of swamps and um, kind of woods around there. And so I would spend a lot of time exploring outside and riding dirt bikes and things like that. Just like pretty country stuff, but it was, it was a, it was fun. So when did you pick up the guitar? Well, so the guitar was, uh, that was an interesting thing because whenever I was young, my parents were like, Oh, we want our kids to be able to play some sort of instrument since we can't. So like they had like gotten me piano lessons, like I referred to, and even some violin lessons like early on, which didn't really stick, unfortunately for me. Um, but whenever I was kind of getting into middle school and high school, like some of my peers were learning to play guitar, like from their older siblings and stuff. But I didn't have any older siblings. I was the oldest. So I was like, who's going to teach me this? So my granddad, who he had never learned to play guitar, but he was such a big fan of just Nashville and country music in general. He was like always watching like country music on television. And so he had bought this, this uh, Yamaha kind of parlor guitar that he just had. And when he, he always hoping to learn to play some of his favorite songs, but when he passed, he kind of left it to my brothers and I, but my parents were really kind of afraid that we would destroy it because <laughs> that was kind of our, uh, our reputation with, with things of value. So I started, I kind of found out where it was hidden and my family would go like leave the house to go somewhere to go to the grocery store or go to eat or something. And I'd be like, you know, I don't really feel like going, I'm going to stay back. And as soon as they were out the driveway, I would go grab that guitar and it had like three strings on it, but I would just kind of like play around and just try to write my own songs. And eventually I got caught and my parents weren't really, um, upset they were more just kind of like oh okay this is cool and this is something you really want to do so they helped me get some strings on the guitar and and i uh, got me a few lessons and then i kind of from there i kind of jumped off and started teaching myself and started a little band like in like the 10th grade and that's the, i'm still doing it today so <laughs> what kind of parlor guitar was it do you remember it's a yamaha i think it's like probably like a mid 80s i still have the guitar my one of my brothers accidentally broke it, unfortunately, but I had it repaired and it doesn't play the same as it did, you know, growing up, but it's still playable somewhat. And I, I still pick around on it a little bit, but I really loved it. Yeah. We have a lot of guitars in our household. You can't have too many guitars, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I know I, I've like, I've started to, I've started my own little collection over the years too, but it's always nice to kind of go back and open up the case on that first one, you know, yeah. and there's nothing really like the one you learn on, I guess. Do you have any favorite guitars now that you play? Yeah, so I recently, I'm, by recently, I mean like a year ago, I got a, a Gibson uh, L00 that I call Lou. And it's, uh, for a long time, I've been playing this kind of larger body guitars. Um, like I, had a, I have a, a Hummingbird that, that I also really love, but the L00 is just such a nice, small guitar and it feels a lot like the uh the little yamaha parlor guitar that i learned to play on and so right now that's that's my favorite um i've been you know we've been doing a lot of rehearsals and stuff getting ready for um you know new music coming out and stuff and so this guitar has been kind of my favorite but i also have this little toy guitar that my my 
bass player bought for me at a yard sale and it's like a little guitar this big and it's like half string with nylon strings and half strung with uh with steel strings and it's just got this really cool vibe to it and i recorded a lot with that on our new album and um so i like that one too but it's it's hard to pick a favorite i have a a small but um a small but nice collection that i I like to kind of switch back and forth with we we have a lot here too and we are lovers of the parlor guitars here. Um, once we discovered it, it was so much easier to play a smaller guitar. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think also on stage, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge person. So like, it's nice to have the, the parlor guitar. It just feels a lot more dynamic on stage. Like I can move around more and um, kind of interact with my bandmates. And I don't know, the one I have now too, the, the L00 has got this nice kind of dark complexion and, um, I just feel like that kind of suits my mood as an artist sometimes. So it, it's, it's really fun how you can kind of like uh, your guitar can be an extension of yourself creatively. And I really tried to embrace that. For sure. So let's go back to the first band you started. Uh, what, were you playing covers, originals? What were you doing? Well, the first, I mean, this was like, like I said, like 10th grade. So I was just probably like 2002 or 2003. And we were really into pop punk. And so we were playing, yeah, like pop punk covers and, but also like any, we were kind of at that age, you're kind of just like you have your taste, I guess, is kind of all over the place. And you're just kind of finding so many, at least in my experience, I was finding music almost on a daily basis that I'd never heard because I had come from a fairly sheltered musical background just because of the religious nature of my family. Um, so like through my friends, I was finding all this music and we were just basically like trying to learn all the songs we loved. Uh, but also the whole time we were also writing our own songs. So from the beginning for me, like as far back as the first time I picked up a guitar, I felt compelled to write, you know, it was like this, it felt like this outlet for me to, uh, kind of express myself, but also kind of help myself unpack things. And, and those, things I was unpacking, you know, like in the beginning were maybe a little bit more juvenile, like, you know, young love and things like that and uh, conflict with authority at school or wherever. Um, but then also like kind of moving into adulthood, it's become a great songwriting has become a, a great kind of form of therapy for me, I think, and just a way to um, release my emotions in a healthy way. So given that you had a family and lived in an area that was maybe more religious, was there ever any conflict with what you were writing and sort of that religious uh, background that you had? There wasn't really until I started Susto. That was kind of one of the things that was a, a, a big change for me when I started Susto was like, I had decided to be more honest as a songwriter uh, because I, in the beginning, I, I mean, I, I was playing music in church a lot. Like I went to a Christian school, so I was playing in chapel, like in the praise band and in youth group and things like that. Um, and so that's very much kind of how I got my start. So there wasn't really a conflict because I was really playing spiritual music in a lot of ways. Um, but then I got, as I got older and started traveling, my views changed. And, you know, that I think that is a natural thing to, that happens to people. And, um, and so my music changed as well. And I, my parents were really supportive up until when things started changing a bit and they didn't really love what they were hearing. I, I think also like parents maybe don't love to hear about the, the real painful struggles that their kids may be going through. And so 
I wasn't talking to my parents about it. They were just hearing about it through my songs. And they were kind of like, this happened to you? Like you really, you went through that? Like, and so I think that was the first time where that I really started to get some of that pushback. Um, but it was a, an important step for me. Like I remember like purposely, I was living in Cuba at the time and I was really inspired by um, this confessional style of songwriting called Trova. It's like a, a cognate with um, the word troubadour. But, uh, and so I, I was like, okay, I wanna take this inspiration and bring it into my own, my own writing. And I was just like, you know, be bold. Don't, don't be afraid to say what you're really feeling because this is your, uh, this is your thing. You know, the songwriting is, is at its core, a very personal thing. Susto is when that sort of um, conflict kind of started to arise, but also it was good because that conflict arising helped me kind of work through issues, not only personally, but in relationships with my family and friends and people that knew me as an artist as well. So, um, you know, I think it was good to, to address all that stuff. And I was reading a little bit about Susto and Susto almost didn't happen because you were in other bands outside of high school and then you went to college and and you had almost given up on music as a career, right? Yeah, I, I had been in band, like from the very first band I, I started, like that kind of evolved into several other high school bands. And then my, my like final high school band had had some like, some small success on MySpace um, when that was a thing. And so like that kind of gave me my first taste of like, you know, playing a show, even a local show where people knew the words to the songs. And I was like, wow, this kind of, this is really cool to connect this way. Um, but I pursued it for a while with no real success and no kind of like breakthrough. And so by the time I was like 24 or 25, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna kind of hang my hat up and try something else. And I'd always been in, interested in people's movements, specifically in Latin America. So I, um, I went to college at the College of Charleston uh, to kind of study anthropology, but also with a focus in uh, Latin American politics. And I uh, eventually like kind of had a, a farewell show for my old band. I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm moving to Havana. And I, I moved there to study people's movements in Latin America because Havana was kind of, was and still is kind of a, a, a big central point for that kind of, um, that kind of study. And yeah, I thought I was giving up. I thought I was quitting. I was like, you know, I'll probably always write songs, but I don't think that this is really what I wanted to do professionally. But then I was in for a, a surprise, I guess, you know, <laughs> because it didn't really go that way. Um, once I was on the ground in Cuba, I kind of started being pushed, like kind of right back into music. And it was really great. It was kind of the, the rejuvenation that I needed. It's funny how life can be like that. You think you're going yeah. one direction and you end up in another direction. So you thought you were going to Cuba to study anthropology. What did you actually end up learning there? Well, you know, I did, I did, I, I, I did study and I was in school. So I, I learned a lot about the world in general, uh, just through studying through a different lens and a different sort of system. Um, but also like I fell in love with music again. Like I think I had for, I had been so focused on trying to have my old band break through and, you know, kind of get a team, find, you know, a manager or an agent or something, you know, and none of that was happening. So I was just like, kind of, I had lost my confidence, I guess. But then like my first night in Cuba, I, uh, I was bummed a cigarette off of this guy who would become one of my best friends. His name's Camilo. And we just started chatting about music. He was in a band and 
he uh it turns out like he had met a lot of uh exchange students from charleston over the years because his dad was involved in this program i was in and so he knew all these like bands from charleston that i knew and so we were like kind of bonding over that and then i started hanging with them and then i started playing them some of my songs that didn't really have a home yet like i had been writing these songs and working on this project and i was thinking about calling the project susto but i didn't know that it was going to be a band you know and camilo and his friends were just like very encouraging They're like man you wrote these songs these are really good songs you should go back and and try to make something of this and i was just like you know like i don't know and but they were you know they were all so like um supportive because they're like you know we wish that we had your passport we wish that we could go like pursue this like you can it's like it doesn't matter if like how you break through as long as you're playing good songs and connecting to people and they kind of gave me a new uh, a renewed kind of view of what i was doing and understanding of what it meant to be a musician and uh and a songwriter and um and they also gave me confidence because these guys and, and and ladies like that i was hanging out with they would we would play some of the demos that i had made for the early susto songs like at parties and they would just go nuts about it and thought the songs were really great and i was like well cool that's so nice to have that kind of confidence and i think that was what gave me the uh the kind of strength to kind of come back and and kind of dive into it head on so it was very you know, even though I was only there for six months, it was a very uh, impactful experience in my life. And um, not only did I learn a lot about myself as a songwriter, but I learned a lot about myself as a human being just by removing myself from the kind of society I'd lived in my entire life and being somewhere very different. Um, and yeah, there, I could, I, there's a lot of stories, a lot of, a lot that I learned that could be unpacked. And at this point it's been years, you know, um, but I'm still very close with Camilo. Like, He's, he's actually coming to the US for the first time and we're gonna do a show together in Charleston in like next week. So uh, this right is still a person I'm very, and he's been involved with making our new album and um, he's living in Mexico now. So it's just, it, that whole experience has, has been, um, there have been ripples from that that are still really impactful in my life. Do you think that was sort of the, the switch that went off that the music you were writing was appealing to, to people and maybe you had not felt like putting it out there before, but they gave you the confidence to put it out there and. Yeah, totally, because I think what, one of the things that is appealing about Susto's music to people is um, the vulnerability and kind of the like the real stories about pain um, kind of juxtaposed with the joy. Because I think one of the big themes in Susto is, is accepting life for what it is, which is like, sometimes an unequal balance of, of pain and happiness. Um, and that's just life. And it's kind of like trying to translate that into song. Um, so sometimes, you know, we might have like a song that with lyrics that are really kind of heavy, but wrapped around a song that kind of makes you feel good and bounces a little bit. And, and I think that kind of playfulness with pain is something I learned in Cuba and the willingness to, um, to be able to put that out there is, is something that, uh, that came from, like you said, the confidence that I got from my friends in Havana. Yeah, I always find that juxtaposition between a happy melody and painful and sad lyrics to be very interesting because on the one hand, you're feeling some joy because the music is, has that upbeat, happy feel. Yeah, when you sit and listen, you're like, wow, this is, you know, this is heavy. But I think that, like you said, you know, in the middle of that is where the message is, right? 
Absolutely. You know, and I, I'm definitely a person who loves to listen to a good sad song too, where the, the music matches the, the <laughs> lyrics uh, or vice versa. But I think kind of um, why I enjoy so much the juxtaposition of the dark and the light is, is because to me, that is like a, a more accurate interpretation of, of what life really is. And, um, and essentially, I guess at, at its core, like what we're trying, or at least what I feel like I'm trying to do as a songwriter is just like kind of um, portray life through song and kind of like uh, distill whatever sort of lessons I can for myself out of experience. Would you like to record an album in Cuba at some point? I would, you know, I, I made a, a little short album there while I was living there called uh, Vampiros in La Havana. So vampires in Havana, uh, because we were, it's named after this, um, this political cartoon that I saw when I was down there, but it was kind of described our lifestyle because we were staying up all night <laughs> and, and sleeping all day. But, um, but yeah, that, that was kind of done recorded in a closet. So I would really love to go back and work, but you know, it's a, uh, it's a complicated thing. Um, and the Cuban U S relationship is a, is a complicated thing. And, and so going there is complicated also working there is complicated but i i do hope that one day i can go back and and work but the reality is that most of the people that i uh i worked with when i was there originally just aren't there anymore um, they've immigrated either to other parts of latin america or uh to the u.s and so you know i don't know what it would feel like to go back because the cuba the havana that that was there whenever i you know spent my time there just I'm sure it's very different and uh and I haven't been back since 2013 even though I've been in very close touch with a lot of people but um you know a lot happens over the years so I don't know I would love to make that happen though short answer yes I would love to go record I, I love recording um kind of anywhere possible and 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 it's been fun even though I haven't been back to Cuba to kind of like reconnect with some of my uh Cuban collaborators in Mexico and record there so um you know I'm, I'm always up for more of that. And I, I just love collaborating musically with as many people and in as many places as I can. Yeah, I've always found it interesting that in Cuba, you, on the one hand, have a semi-repressed society. On the other hand, all these creative people coming out of Cuba. So Yeah, you know, there's a really big focus on the arts. And mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, it's just a really important part of their cultural heritage and, and like just life in general. I think life can be hard in Cuba. Um, and there's a myriad of reasons for that, that I won't get into is beyond the scope of this, but, um, but I think music is a way for people to find joy, regardless of what they're going through, um, or what kind of situation they find themselves in. And I, I think that's ubiquitous worldwide. That's just like, that's what music is. And I think also that my eyes were kind of open to that when I was in Cuba and I realized how much more important just doing it was than like doing it for some, some kind of like goals or of success that you're set. It's more important to just do it and enjoy it and make those connections happen than to say, I'm going to do this for this specific result, you know? And why the name Susto? Well, I, I had actually, discovered the word and the concept of Susto before I went to Cuba because I was already studying Latin American um, culture and politics. And uh, at the time in my life, I had, like I said, I, I had 
ended a band that I've been in for like seven years. Um, I was coming towards the end of a relationship that I've been in for like four or five years, which at that point in my life was a really long time. And I was also transitioning uh, personally with my worldview. Uh, so like my religious views were changing. And because of that, I was having a lot of complicated um, situations with my family and also with longtime friends because I was just kind of finding it really difficult to, to even speak to them because we saw things in such a different way and they didn't know what to do with me because I was just changing in their view. And so I felt this not really like myself. And uh, I was reading in an anthropology book one day uh, for class and, and came across this term susto. And uh, essentially what susto means is um, like, it, it's, it's kind of specific to Latin American societies, but it's a concept that you can find world over. But the word susto specifically comes from Latin America where it's a situation where your soul escapes your body. Not, and that's not like death. It's just like a, while you're living a thing that happens a traumatic event or something that happens to where your soul jumps from your body and you're just not really yourself until you go through some sort of ceremony to reconnect your body with your soul. Um, and that was really a powerful concept to me because I felt like uh, in some ways I was experiencing that myself. And also just like the word, it was weird because I don't know if this is going to sound like uh, superstitious or something, but um, my name is Justin and my old band had started with an S and like, so Susto and my last name is Osborne. So Susto seemed like this weird combination of like my musical past and then my actual identity. So I was just sitting there. I mean, I would think I was 24 or something, 25 maybe. And which is like, this seems like a message from the universe mm -hmm. or something like, and I'm not, I'm not all about or all against that sort of thought, thinking, but, um, but you know, it stuck with me and I, and I didn't immediately start calling, calling my music that, but, um, once I kind of had officially ended my old band and, and was in Cuba and sharing songs with friends that didn't really have a name, an umbrella name to be under, I was like, well, maybe the Susto is a good name to kind of like start putting over all this stuff. And, and it kind of went from there. At first, it was just going to be an album called Susto that I was going to release just with friends and stuff. But then once I had gotten back to Charleston and I finished self-titled debut album, um, it, it kind of started to gain traction locally really quickly. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll be Susto and that's how I'll perform. And, and you know, and I still am. And to some people, I'm Susto. To some people, I'm Susto. <laughs> Uh, but, and, you know, and I'm not the only one that is, it's like Susto also from the beginning has been like a band that's kind of my thing, but also very much a collaborative effort. And I've, uh, been really fortunate to have a lot of really talented friends kind of collaborate with me over the years. And it, it's kind of this revolving lineup of folks in the studio and it's turned into this really special, um, group of us doing the songs live as well. And, uh, yeah, so Susto just came from a page in a book. And, uh, you know, it's a concept, a very real concept that, you know, you can look into more if you're interested in the uh, psychological definition of Susto. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that name because it can be really hard to, to name something. And that the name Susto just seemed to be given to me. Well, it seems like um, it's almost like a creative project. It's a band 
but because of all the collaboration that goes on and your vision that you bring to the table, it almost seems like a creative music project. That's really what it is. I see it as like a project, um, a collaborative project with kind of me at the helm. Um, like it's essentially my narrative, even though there's co-writing definitely goes on. Um, the, the narrative is kind of controlled and curated by me. Uh, but you know, I am, I'm a simple songwriter. I can't do all the magic in the studio that my friends and collaborators can do. And so it's, uh, it's really fun to be able to have that kind of like, uh, avenue for self-expression in the lyrics and in the narrative of the band, but also have the collaborative element of a group, you know, and, um, and also it takes communication to establish that sort of relationship and it, and it didn't happen overnight, you know? And so like, I'm thankful to be where we're at now because I feel like everyone that I'm working with, we have a, a really great relationship and understanding and everyone just wants to, you know, make the best music that we can for people with the best art really, because it goes even beyond the music to the, the artwork from merchandise to um, album art and things like that. It's all a collaborative endeavor between like, you know, a small core group. Well, and I, I was sort of reading about your past albums and all of them have been recorded in different places, um, some with smaller budgets, some with bigger budgets. Do you enjoy being in the studio? Yeah, I really do. I think um, one thing I love about just this kind of career in general is that there are two sides. There's, there's the recording process where you kind of pour yourself into this project in the studio. And then there's the touring side where you kind of go and have this energetic performance and you get the opportunity to connect with people live through those songs. And, but they've also been kind of, they've always been quite separate in, in Susto because um, the recording I've, I've, I've worked with my really close friend and producer Wolfgang Zimmerman um, on every record at this point, even, even when other people have been involved, he's been there as a producer or at least like a, a musician and a sounding board. Um, and we started by making albums in his storage unit in Charleston. Um, and our first album was in a single storage unit we made in there with essentially no budget. I was literally like either pawning things for cash <laughs> or trading him things I had for studio time. And so, and, and we made an album that way, you know? And then the second one we had the band, it kind of been established that we were a band and his, he had, gained access to the storage unit next to him. So his storage unit kind of doubled in size and he took Double the wall wide. down in between them. Yeah. <laughs> and we made that one in there. Um, and that one was, you know, still a small budget. And also by that point we were touring. So we were kind of just making it whenever we could. Um, and then on my last album, I got the chance to go record in Asheville at this really wonderful studio, Echo Mountain. And um, Ian Fitchuk, uh, who's a, you know, a really successful producer and musician in general and a great person to work with. He, we worked with him on that and that was fun and it was cool. And I'm really happy with how that turned out. But then going into my most recent album that's coming out uh, next month, um, we kind of found ourselves working at home again because the pandemic, the pandemic had come and, you know, no, we weren't traveling. And, and by this point, Wolfgang Wolfie uh, had kind of gotten a, uh, pretty close to a, a legitimate studio as close as we've been before in our, in our personal kind of like studio endeavors. And we made the record there and it was, it was really fun because it felt like um, the studio itself feels like this kind of monument to the work that 
Susto has been doing to kind of further our career, but also what Wolfie has been doing on his own too, because he also recorded, he's recorded some other like pretty big albums in there as well. And so it's kind of this place. It's like the, the house that we built, you know, our studio in Charleston, it's called the space. Um, but uh, so, you know, it's been fun to have those different experiences, but I do know that I feel really comfortable kind of working at our own pace in Charleston where, you know, we can go and record all day and then go home and be with our families or friends that night, sleep in our own beds. It's um, but at the same time, I also, like I mentioned earlier, love to go on like a recording specific trip because we did go to Mexico for part of the recording of, um, of my upcoming album. And that was just as uh, fulfilling and um, enjoyable as, you know, doing it on our home turf. So it's just, it's just a fun process and it's really fun to, take a song from like writing it on my couch to like taking it in the studio and like hearing all these beautiful kind of layers um, reveal themselves. And so I, uh, yeah, I love the recording process. It's a, I'm really thankful for it, because especially during the, the height of the pandemic, it was like a, a, a refuge for me uh, to go in and just have something like a, an album to pour myself into and kind of um, get lost in, in a lot of ways. And I was also going through a lot uh, this recording process, um, becoming a father, also losing my own father and, um, processing that it was great to like have the studio is like my little place to kind of work through that or even just kind of forget about it for a little while if I needed to. Let's talk time in the sun. This is the new album. It's coming out soon. We're all looking forward to it. I got a sneak listen for this interview. So um, whoever is out there that you need to get a copy, it's really great. So how long did it take you to record this? Did you have all the songs written before you recorded or were you writing them along the way? So it was kind of a mixture of both. Um, the actual recording process began uh, in January of 2020, kind of right before everything changed in, in big ways. Uh, and, and it lasted up until... I think like May of this year, 2021. So, you know, it was an, it was an extended recording process, which never really had the, um, the luxury of that because touring usually gets in the way. Um, but to answer, to answer the question about the songs, like I had kind of started writing some of the songs as far back as 2018. Um, but a lot of them were also written in the studio. Like, uh, so I would say it's probably about half and half were either written in the studio once we had started recording or kind of written at home after the recording process was already underway, you know? So, uh, and I think that, that all kind of goes into the luxury of having time. You know, if, if we had gone in in January of 2020 and been like, okay, we want to record this set of songs and we want to do it in like 10 days that would have been constraining, obviously, right? And, and we've done that before. Uh, and it, there, there are pros to that because you're like, you know, you don't have to like second guess yourself. You just kind of go and work a lot based off to it, intuition. And, and so that can be nice, but with this and just what this album was and the kind of the themes and the concepts like seemed kind of really big in a lot of ways. Uh, it was important to have that time to kind of reflect and really chew on things and, and really follow through as well. I mean, we recorded a good bit more songs than are actually on the record. And I think that was important too, to kind of like just paint a lot of pictures and say, okay, 
what which of these really are part of this collection this concept time in the sun because at its core the album is about life and the cyclical nature of like death and birth and um the brevity of life on earth you know and the uh and like i mentioned before the juxtaposition of pain and suffering with joy and bliss you know so um it was important to me that we didn't miss the mark conceptually. And I think um, having a, a broad palette of songs to choose from for the record uh, and the time to kind of really think critically about how the songs interacted with one another was a, a big part of the record as well. Because at one point we were like, oh, we're going to have an 18 song album, you know, let's do it. And we we're like, you know, maybe not. And, <laughs> and that's all a part of the process. And it was nerve wracking at times, but it was, um, really fulfilling and i'm i'm really proud of this album and, and happy about it and really excited to share it with everyone soon it's you know it's coming pretty fast so well i was reading a little bit about the message on the album and i know there was this juxtaposition in your life between you know having having a child and also losing a, a father and that you wanted some of the message to be something you could leave for your your daughter right yeah. I mean, like, I'm not, look, I'm not planning on checking out anytime <laughs> soon. Like I, I, I hope not to, like, I, I see life as a gift from the universe that I want to milk as much out of it as possible because it's, you know, I don't know if we get just one or not, but it seems likely that we do. Um, so for me, it was kind of like a way to, in case anything happened, you know, I'm traveling all the time to leave some sort of time stamp for her. But also, I think I began to realize this as the album was finishing. It was a way of communicating because the two big life events that I mentioned, one losing my dad and then the other having my daughter or, you know, my daughter being born. There were both these people that I couldn't communicate with who I who were really important and whose um, places in their own cycle were really important to me at that time. But my dad deceased like I could not talk to him anymore so like it's in some ways the album is messages out into the ether to him things that I didn't get to say or that just I wanted to echo to him and at the same time my daughter and and she's talking a bit more now but you know it's like at the time she was six months old you know uh, up until maybe like 18 months and uh so we couldn't communicate so it's like I didn't want to forget these things I'm feeling the way I feel like right now and so it's like hopefully something that she gets older, whether I'm, you know, right beside her or, you know, wherever um, she can listen to and kind of like take as just a, a conversation to her, you know, um, I'll be at one sided, but uh, you know, just a letter. And so the letter kind of goes in both directions, I think. And um, but it also is something for myself to look back on because in a lot of ways, every album, especially, albums that are written in a confessional kind of nature act as a bit of a, like a, a diary and just like a, and, and I want to have that there if for nothing else, just for myself to be able to reflect on and be like, this is what I was feeling in this kind of big part of my life that I'll never be in again. I've always thought that about music and albums in general, when you look at an artist who's been around from 20 to 80 and the messaging that changes throughout your life, but also in reaction to things going around, going on around you personally and also in the world and how that message changes over time. 
totally. I uh, I love getting to observe that an artist that I'm a fan of and whose work I uh, admire and appreciate. And I, uh, you know, it's definitely something I think about uh, in my own writing and kind of, and can even to an extent already exercise because I can look back at albums from either old bands or, or e that I was in or even like earlier Susto albums and be like, okay, this is not a part of my life I'm in anymore. This is not the way the world is anymore. Um, but I can, I can kind of like remember through songs. It's almost like a way of really jogging my own memory. But, um, but another thing, I mean, I'm talking about a lot about the personal things that were going on during the creation of time in the sun, but obviously there was a lot going on in the broader world, um, from a global pandemic to, you know, like, um, renewed attention to social, so social justice issues that, um, you know, it's just a big conversation that, we're all having. And I think that played into the, the themes of the songs as well. The kind of like, we're all here together, you know, um, whether we like each other or, or love each other or hate each other. And um, I, uh, that was just kind of something that weighed on my mind as well. But in, in a lot of ways too, there were some of the songs that had been written pre 2020 and everything that came along with that year that like started to have new definition to me because of the way the world was kind of being at the time. And, and that's just something I really love about songs too. And even the ones that are more personal, like the, the evolution of meaning, even to the writer is something that I'm just sorting to kind of get a grasp of. Um, because I used to think that when I wrote a song, it's like, Oh, well, that song is definitely about whatever I thought I was writing about right then. And I've kind of let go of that because even my own songs have like changed in meaning for me as like my life has changed. And I just think that's so beautiful about songs because it's poetry, right? And so like poetry can evolve with you and meaning can evolve. Um, and it's not kind of absolute, you know, it's like it, it has the potential to expand and contract in whatever way you need it to. Yeah, well, it's amazing that a song that you might write when you're young or old, doesn't really matter, continues to connect with new people because that's where they are in their life, even if you're not there yourself, which I find kind of fascinating. You look at songs that were written in 1960-something and people are still listening to them and they'll connect with them. So they become this, they take on their own life, I think, which is kind of interesting as well. Um, and I wanted to ask you a couple of, I wanted to go through uh, a couple of the actual songs and you just tell me what they mean to you from the album. How about uh, Be Gone From Me? That song, it's kind of got some, some bluesy elements and stuff to it. Uh, and it's definitely inspired by, I don't know, I, it's kind of one of the more angstier songs on the record. And, and while they're like beautiful, introspective moments, they're definitely angsty moments on the record. And I think Be Gone From Me is, is one of those, but you know, like I had spent the, before kind of think I slowed down for COVID, like uh, I had spent the last five years just traveling pretty much constantly. I, I was, it was rare if I spent more than two weeks at home in Charleston at one time. And uh, so all of a sudden I felt like I was back, you know, even though I had been living there and, and calling it home base, I felt like I was back. I was like, you know, kind of being reintegrated into my community and my natural surroundings and 
you know, I got married and had a daughter and bought a house and started to put down roots, you know, and uh, at the same time in a very kind of maybe middle class way, right? Like I'm still driving a touring van as my uh, daily driver with like kayaks on the top of it to go, you know, <laughs> explore the rivers around Charleston. And, you know, like I, I'm an artist, so I'm not a, a rich person, but like I feel rich in, um, in understanding, not like I understand everything, but just in kind of like, I feel blessed to like have the kind of peace of mind that I, I have generally um, because I know it, because I haven't always had it. And, uh, and so regardless of like financial success or whatever, like, you know, just having the security of a house and a car and a family and, um, you know, doing what I love for a living. And then it, it felt like triumphant in some ways, because like, I remember starting this band whenever I was sharing a room with another dude and like, you know, we were paying a hundred bucks in rent and I was like basically living off like 300 bucks a month and borrowing cars to go on tour and, um, and all this stuff. And just like, you know, then kind of looking back and being like, okay, well, I do this for a living now. And I'm, this is my career and kind of feeling triumphant about it. And I think that song is kind of a declaration of that, but at the same time, it was written in the midst of a heated political environment. And uh, at the time I, I felt really uh, strongly about taking a side. And, and I think that song is kind of about that too. And I think a lot of us naturally feel inclined to take a side because we live in a polarized climate. Um, and so in some ways I feel like it's kind of just an acknowledgement of that human nature I feel less inclined to do that these days. Uh, I think that song in a lot of ways was my way of exercising some of those feelings and having uh, a means of analyzing how I was feeling by saying like, okay, I wrote this song, so I must be feeling that way. Like, why do I feel that way? How can I evolve, you know? Um, so I think there's a lot of that in there. It's just a, a lot of me coming to terms with my life and the world around me in you know the midst of 2020 and uh, but it's as much of like a triumph as it is like an admission of guilt, I guess, too. How about time, love, and fun? So this song is like essentially the uh, de facto uh, album title track, even though it's not doesn't share a title with the album. It it, ha it contains the lyrics that are that the album title is taken from. And uh, this is a song I wrote like shortly after my daughter had been born. Um, and I was on tour again, like 10 days after she was born, I had to go back on tour. And, uh, and it's just kind of like, I had written it in a hotel room, just like with nothing to do thinking like, you know, when she turns one, like I want to give her a song for her birthday. And so that song is about birthdays. It's about like just being alive and circling around the sun and every year putting a hat on your head and something it's, this is my, this is my day, you know? Um, and all, but also it kind of gets deeper than that with touching on, you know, what it means to fall in love and fall out of love, um, what it means to be understood and misunderstood. Um, and just like how life is just like a jumble of all these concepts, some big, some small. And, um, and, and even though I wrote that song, my daughter in mind, when my dad passed that song, um, 
started to evolve in meaning for me because I started to see it as like, not just about birthdays, you know, it's about um, our time here and uh, birthdays are really just markers of that. So I don't know, I, I, hopefully that's a, a decent explanation, but um, you know, the meaning for a lot of these songs are ever evolving for me even. So um, at, at this point, that's kind of the, the meaning for me behind Time, Love and Fun. Well, Justin, congratulations on all your success with Susto. And Thank Time in so the much, Sun Amy. is a is a amazing album, and um, we look forward to it being released. And appreciate the fact that you were able to stop by and talk to us about your life and a little bit about the new album. Well, Amy, thank you so much for having me here on Diddy TV. It's really been a pleasure, and um, I'm always excited to to chat. And uh, yeah, everybody, go listen to Time in the Sun. It's out October 29th. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Justin Osborne founder of the genre-bending band Susto from Charleston, South Carolina. To learn more about Susto and what they're up to, and to purchase their upcoming New West Records release, Time in the Sun, visit newwestrecords.com. And remember, you can visit diddytv.com for more exclusive on-demand content and download the official free Diddy TV app from your app store today. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.